Hey everyone, welcome to Punkcast. My name is William Maxwell. I'm a student of Web3 and the owner of Punk9527. CryptoPunks are 10,000 uniquely generated characters stored permanently on the Ethereum blockchain. No punk is the same. This is a show dedicated to celebrating the punks behind the punk. My hope for this podcast is that we capture the essence of the punk culture, elevate the brand and the individual behind the punk. One last thing. Projects discussed on the show is not financial advice. Crypto and NFTs are a volatile and risky asset class. Please always do your own research. Other than that, let's go. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Punkcast. Today we've got an awesome punk to interview. Punk6922 is a 480 with wild hair, earring, small shades, and mustache. He's a longtime punk member, currently holding 18 crypto punks with a large mix of blue bandanas. He's also the founder of Pizza Dow and Rare Pizzas. Please welcome my fellow Mobro, Snacks.eth, to the show. Snacks, welcome. How are you? GM, GM. I'm doing great. It's good to be here. It's good to be introduced by my attribute. <laughs> well, mate, we'll have to sort of unpack that because uh, I know you've got a pretty unique collection here and uh, you've got a pretty interesting story. And I think uh, you've been in the punk community for a long time, so you could fill me in on a lot of the history before I came along. But maybe if we can just start off slowly, what's the uh, story behind your handle, Snacks? How did you come up with that? So in college, we had this student body funding program where students would vote on different student projects to fund. And so the one I did was called Disguised Do-Gooders, D-I-D-G was the acronym. And we would do costumed acts of kindness around the campus, like dress up as ninjas with yellow dishwashing gloves on and go into dorms and wash the dishes and then scatter when dormies appeared. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) super fun and really silly. And and then one of the things that we did, one of the stunts I pulled, I would dress up as Snack Man, uh, which was a a superhero dressed, decked out in a bunch of like old snack wrappers that I had kind of pieced together into a costume (laughs) and... I would, uh, you know, go out and share a lot of snacks around the campus. Beautiful. And so, <laughs> snacks. <laughs> it's a, it's an awesome nickname and very punchy. Four letters and uh, you got the ETH handle, which must have been really hard to get. Or maybe not so much if you were there early. Yeah. I had to, you know, it's funny. I got a lens invite and the minimum character length on lens is five characters. And so, <laughs> I let it expire. I couldn't decide. Well, mate, snacks it is. Mate, so tell, tell me about your background then. Like, what did you grow up? What did you study? I guess what was your whole journey, you know, sort of pre-crypto and NFTs? Certainly. So I, I grew up in Philly, in the city, till I was like in fourth grade or so. Then we moved to the Burbs. And then I went to school out in, uh, in Portland, Oregon, actually. I went to Reed College, which is Steve Jobs famously uh, dropped out of Reed, and so did I. <laughs> But um, (laughs) while I was there, I was uh, I was studying math and I I really I was kind of aiming myself at at biochemistry and like the intersection of of biochemistry and mathematics, computer science, that kind of stuff. And then I ended up dropping out because I sort of I did some research in a lab and I I realized that this maybe wasn't the, the life I wanted. And I was working on a thesis about. Uh, I switched my thesis topic a few times. And, and anyway, so I dropped out. I was living in this grow house, actually, that my friends operated out in Oregon. And I started just spending a ton of time on Twitter. And I saw Lulsec hack Sony. 
if you remember that. No, what was that about? So this was like 2011, and there was this really silly hacker group called Lulzsec with a mascot that had a curly mustache and a little glass of red wine and a monocle. And I just thought he was hilarious. And they were hacking all these big companies, and they hacked Sony's like consumer, you know, their email password database. And eventually they got caught. But at some point along the road, they started accepting Bitcoin. And I was like, you know, smoking all the leftover uh, weed from the grow and just spending all my whole day on the internet at this time. And, uh, <laughs> and so I had plenty of time to research and I read the white paper and I had, I'm a, I was a math major in college. So currency backed by math just sort of clicked immediately, honestly. And this was 2011. That's 2011. So the Bitcoin white paper was out in 2011. So talk to me about the decision when you dropped out. Like, was it an easy decision, hard decision? Like, how did you weigh that up? Well, it wasn't so hard because it seemed like I, I was like, well, you know, maybe the value of dropping out from Reed is similar to the value of a degree. If I can just say Steve Jobs dropped out. And then <laughs> it's pretty funny. And and I had already taken a lot of the math courses, like pretty much every one I was interested in. So I felt like I could see the way the world was moving and a math degree and the ability to to program meant that a degree didn't really matter especially if I didn't necessarily want to pursue the science, like the scientist uh, career that, that I had been targeting. Uh, I, so I kind of, I was a bit confused for sure. And so I figured it was better to just sit back and think. And so where, where did that lead you next then? So I started buying Bitcoin at about 20 bucks and it was so exciting. Um, I was buying on Mt. Gox and using Diwala and Trade Hill and all these random platforms to to just get money into the system. And I was betting on BitBet and posting on Bitcoin Talk. And it was just such an exciting time. And I watched it. I would even trade it, which was a mistake. I learned around, like, after I traded the chop between three and, like, 600 and ended up with less Bitcoin than I started with, I just never, I just never traded again. I just buy and hold Bitcoin now. <laughs> but yeah, at, at this time, I, I learned about Bitcoin and then I ended up moving back east. And I was working at actually family business. My uncle had a wine company. And so I did some SQL. I did some data. I was, I was spending, you know, like $60,000 on clicks on AdWords. <laughs> back in, the, yeah. And and then eventually I, uh, I started my own consulting business, left that. Actually, I did some of the due diligence. We sold that company. That, I mean, well, during this time uh, was when I learned about, was when I got into NFTs. And I was organizing Bitcoin events, actually, from 2013 when I moved back to Philly. I was uh, organizing them on meetup.com. We would meet outside the Pizza Hut at the 30th Street Station uh, in Philly and just push tables together and talk about DAOs and and Bitcoin, and uh, we thought DAOs were like cell phoning taxi cabs back then. We, I don't think we yet fully grokked that like humans were the hands and feet of DAOs and also of, of Bitcoin, right, in a way. So you came more through deep into the Bitcoin sort of trenches. And I think Pizza DAO was, is, I'm assuming it's related to the pizza story where somebody paid a lot of Bitcoin for a pizza at some stage is that linked to pizza down at all or yeah absolutely i mean so laszlo you know he famously paid ten thousand bitcoin for two pizzas and they were papa john's pizzas so this was may 22nd 2010 
when he did this. Like, I think of it as as the first time that cryptocurrency acted on the physical world in a way, right? Because it was the first physical transaction where Bitcoin actually, you could take it and and you could buy food. <laughs> and, I, and that's like a big deal, right? When we cross that barrier as an ecosystem. And it's a funny story, you know? It's like, there's this account, Bitcoin Pizza, that that just tweets out the value of 10,000 Bitcoin every night. <laughs> what is 10,000 Bitcoin worth now? Uh, let, let, let's look at the account today, you know? It's... Uh, <laughs> okay here we go bitcoin pizza today we're at 281 million wow that's a lot of pizza <laughs> that is a lot of pizza we estimate pizzas about 25 bucks per pie these days and so that's 11.2 million pies that's crazy oh man so tell me how or what inspired you to create pizza down so you started forming these pizza meetups on a meetup app uh, to talk about Bitcoin. Um, and then how did, I guess, that sort of transition into a formal DAO? So in 2018, one of my co-organizers of that Bitcoin meetup group, he, he invited me to go to this event in New York. It was called the Rare AF Festival. And at this event were Matt Hall from CryptoPunks, the Decentraland guys, uh, Bea from Dada, and I think um, the DJ Skrilla from Rare Pepe and Joe Looney, who made the Pepe wallet. And so this was just everybody. Mac from CryptoKitties, actually, I think he called in and did because he couldn't make it. But so I, in one evening, got exposed to everyone <laughs> who was building anything in, in NFTs, pretty much. And I was immediately bought in. I mean, immediately NFT build because I saw some really smart, awesome people and talked to them, you know, got to ask talked to Matt Hall about like CryptoPunks, you know, and this was when CryptoPunks, they were about a hundred bucks. This was January 18th, 2018. And so I, I went home actually, and I went on and I bought, I think 11 punks or so for around 0.1 to 0.14 each, which was about a hundred bucks then, hundred to 150. And it felt weird. It felt weird at the time, which is funny. I can imagine, man. So, um, maybe just tell tell us a little bit about that particular event. Did you say Rare a AF Festival? Yeah, Rare AF. And I think people will look back on this and realize this was a real this was a historic event. In fact, it's captured in the Pepe documentary. If you've seen that about Matt Fury, it's such a great documentary. Uh, Feels good, man. Yeah, I think that one taught me, I guess, the power of memes and how that sort of propagates. I guess communities and key themes so that was a really good one to for me to watch anyway so he he was there was he i don't think he was there but the rare pepe community was there and so in the in the portion of the doc that that talks about rare pepes um there's some footage from the event and i'm I actually you can see me in it at around the hour marker a little past and so that was this event and i believe a homer pepe sold for 100 or three hundred thousand dollars at auction at that event which was i mean it was oh, wow. mind blowing for me, and and I actually bid, I think, ten or even twenty thousand dollars on an aluminum foil kitty hat, which was, <laughs> yeah, it was an early accessory for Crypto Kitties that you could you could attach to your cat, and I was mercifully outbid. <laughs> <laughs> what did, what did it end up going for? Do you know? Oh man, I I think like thirty maybe. It, yeah, crazy. Maybe even a little more. I I don't think they're worth much. <laughs> So, so what was the context of the Rare AF festival? I mean, Rare as fuck is what I'm thinking it's for, but was it more digital NFTs? Was that the theme behind it or? Yeah, it was specifically an NFT 
event. Um, you know, I came in and the first thing that I did before going into the main panel room was there was a guy at a table. He said, okay, you're going to take out a dollar. You're going to write artists deserve more on it and any kind of art you want. You're going to take a picture. I'm going to send you an NFT. And so I did it and I still have the dollar actually hanging right next to my desk. Uh, I never got the NFT. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it was an NFT event. And so I was just really privileged to, to get to experience all of these builders uh, really, really early. Amazing. So you got the opportunity to speak to Matt Hall? Yeah. What was that conversation like? What was the vibe? What was the chat like? I think I was just brainstorming like how to build and, and what I wanted to build. And I was really into... I'm not sure what my pet project was at the time. I know that immediately after the event, we started designing a Tulip NFT that we say we'll release every spring and, and have not released. But I think I connected with him. I don't know. I could check our old Discord messages and see, you know, what I was asking him about. <laughs> but it was enough for you to go home and sweep a bag of punks, right? So I looked at all of the stuff that was on display and it was harder to set up a counterparty wallet and get rare Pepe's. And... You know, rare Pepe's are a little weirder. Like I get, it was easy for me to connect with how the punks looked because punks, they, they really take advantage of their 24 by 24 pixel palette. Like, they, you know, that, that can that pixel canvas right there and their color palette, they really do a lot with a little, I could immediately register them as good design. And so I connected with them. Yeah. Nice. Maybe you can talk us through, I guess your first NFT was, was a punk your first NFT? Like. Yeah. Yeah. I set up a MetaMask and, and I was looking at these transactions preparing for this and I transferred a bit of ETH in, I saw, and then I bought Punk 3805 was my first Punk. It was 0.1 Floor Punk, January 20th, 2018, two days after the Rare AF uh, event. I call them Vapoks. I used to have four. I actually sold them all last year, but he has a, a Mohawk Thin and a Vape. I think it looks so funny because they're the same color. So it kind of looks like there's an L jammed through the punk's head. Um, and, and he also. <laughs> yeah, I've got, it, I've got it up now. Yeah. And then he has an earring and nerd glasses as well. He's, he's a cool looking punk, honestly. And, and I definitely was, was picking for the ones that aesthetically. I was picking, you know, when, when I first looked through the collection, I was definitely looking at rarity of attributes and, and checking. And there was no attributes floor display actually on the site back then you had to do this manually i think that actually changed the dynamics of some of the pricings when that page was updated on the site which is funny but but yeah back then i, I was just kind of you know saying okay well i like how this one looks and it seems like vape at 272 punks is a bit rarer than some of the other traits and so that was why i went with this guy first and then i think i might have bought one more and then i got the bug and i transferred more ethan and bought some more what, what was it about punks for you at that time i know you said that they just vibed a little bit more than i guess the uh the pepes did and probably a little bit more accessible than setting up a counterparty wallet but was there anything else that really stood out to you around why you caught the bug for punks yeah i mean i've always been an early adopter i mean i bought bitcoin at 20 bucks i bought facebook at 25 bucks i was early on on tiny chat and like all these weird platforms. You know, I was a clubhouse early adopter, you know, when that came out. And so I, I like to immerse myself in new stuff. And so NFTs seemed super real to me 
like legitimate tech and I wanted to build this tulip NFT because I liked crypto kitties breeding and stuff, but I didn't like how they looked that much. And so I thought tulips, you know, obviously funny joke, you know, an obvious joke and we could do a nice job. I met my co-founder at that event. And so it just felt like this, if I was going to get into this ecosystem, I, I should probably get some skin in the game. And this was the one that made sense. I mean, like I could have bought a crypto kitty and I didn't like how they looked. I could have bought a Pepe and I didn't feel like setting up a counterparty wallet. And I could have bought mana tokens. I did buy mana tokens for Decentraland. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> it wasn't like, it wasn't like I had a sea of PFPs to choose from, you know, punks were like it. Yeah. No, that's super cool. And obviously you made the, the best choice out of all those options back then in hindsight. But, um, and then maybe talk to me a little bit about the ones that you've collected and, you know, we'll come back to your, your primary punk in a moment, but you know, you've got a pretty big collection of blue bandanas. What's sort of drawn you to, I guess, the blue bandanas? Yeah. So I have uh, long believed in, in copy left. I was an early uh, adopter on CC0, I guess, in a way, uh, because in actually when, when Shopify first enabled Bitcoin payments back in 2013 with BitPay, I immediately, I just wanted to accept Bitcoin for something. So I started selling t-shirts with a business called Pirate Printing Company. And the premise was that our, because t-shirts were a commodity, uh, our margins and, and finances would be completely transparent. Guess what? It's harder with a bank account than with, <laughs> than with an ETH wallet. And that our designs would be free to download. Because, you know, who cares if you want to print this design with your local printer? Go for it. I just want to propagate the design. And so for a long time, I believed that here on Earth, we could have a much richer variety of stuff if everything was copyleft. So I mean, your hardware came with instruction manuals to build it and tear it down and repair it. And your every code, you know, you can go beneath the hood and, and change it. And so getting back to bandanas, I looked at CryptoPunks and I said, wow, these punks that specifically have a blue bandana and an eye patch are very much pirate punks. They are the most piratey of any punk. And in fact, I even was thinking to myself, if I want to, to culture jam pirates in the metaverse, if I want to buy pirates in some metaphorical set, right? If I want to buy that meme, maybe getting a strong position cornering the market on pirate crypto punks is a way to do that. That's a, that's a nice one. Where do you think you'll take that? Do you think you'll experiment with that any further? So I'm not going to say I'm done accumulating. There may be some swaps that I'm looking to make. And ultimately, I would like my collection of pirates to fund the beliefs that got me into the pirates. So I'm going to figure out a way to turn these pirate punks into copyleft ecosystem tools or incentives. Just for everybody, including myself, can you elaborate a little bit more on what you mean by copyleft? Yeah, it's like the opposite of copyright. It basically just means, you know, if I put this out there into the world, you're welcome to go ahead and copy it and reuse it as you see fit. I do, I will say, I do kind of like recursive copyleft, where anyone who copies and reuses has to also enable copy and reuse on whatever they created. But I'm not, you know, I'm not fully convinced whether we have to always enforce that sort of GPL style recursive copyleft. But yes, so copyleft in general is 
this idea that information is free to copy, free to access, and maybe we should treat it that way economically. Uh, that's cool. Let's, let's talk about your primary punk now. So you've got 18 punks. And the guy that you've cho chosen as your primary punk is um, wild hair, small shades, earring, uh, mustache, just like me. Why have you chosen this guy as your primary punk? So in 2020, I think, punks were doing their first run-up from like one ETH to three. When, and this was when Rarible dropped their token and they were giving rewards for trading, kind of like Blur. And so people were trading punks like crazy. And, it, and I started to feel like it was time to get my grail punk, whatever that might be. And so I looked through all the traits and I picked the ones that most represent me uh, as I actually looked. And so I knew it would be wild hair because I've got wild hair. And I knew that mustache was the best facial hair for me because even though I have a beard, I think it's kind of mustache character. Uh, and I don't like how front beard looks. So mustache was in it. I wear earrings, two dangly earrings always. So earring had to be there. And then I actually have a pair of small shades uh, that are just like that, in fact, um, that I got one year because I was punk Superboy. If you remember, 90 Superboy. Uh, <laughs> I was him for Halloween one year. So I have these nice round uh, shade little, little glasses. So yeah, so 6922 in all 10,000 is the punk for me. Nice. He's a, he's a good looking one, mate. And uh, definitely uh, you've made him your own. Thank you. Um, I know we got a little bit carried away, but going back to Pizza Dow, so how did you find the inspiration for that and starting that up? And maybe you can explain exactly what that is. Sure. So Pizza Dow is a global pizza co-op. Uh, it's a pizza party planner, and it's a pizza faucet for Web3 builders. And the idea for it actually didn't come from pizza, believe it or not. It came from thinking about how to make small businesses community owned. So enable communities to have a share and a stake in their neighborhood. And this became really important to me because I actually, I run a neighborhood group in South Philly called South Silly. And it has, uh, it has like 12,000 members. Uh, it's all South Philadelphians. And so I know my neighborhood. I know my local businesses. I know, I feel like I know a lot about, about how my community runs. And especially during COVID, and even before COVID, it became really apparent to me that we don't have the best systems in place to support these independent businesses. And even more so that perhaps the neighborhood would be better positioned to perform the role of a bank in the relationship to these businesses than the banks. Because the banks that service small businesses don't necessarily have the time or inclination to understand that business. Whereas the neighborhood, like I know which coffee shop I care about. I know which pizzeria in my neighborhood I care about or which gallery. And even the value of those entities to me may not be represented by my commerce with the business, if that makes sense. Because, yeah, I, I'll, I'll buy a coffee every morning, but the value of having a, an amazing coffee shop, well, that's very high. And so I would talk about that on Clubhouse and I would say how we had to make blockchain-based accounting systems so we could satisfy uh, financial transparency, so we could be legal uh, in the way that we tokenize these businesses, right? So that we could actually tick all the boxes for being a security and, and let the neighbors buy in. And people would glaze over because that's just a lot of words. 
and I realized <laughs> somewhere along the line that pizza dough was a lot simpler. In, in what way? In that there are more independent pizzerias on earth than perhaps any other kind of business. And they're everywhere. And pizzerias are also generally on the forefront of food tech. And so all of these things together to me meant that pizza was the perfect vessel for this community-owned independent business idea. So then maybe, maybe talk a little bit about how it works. And so basically, and how pizza dough is related to rare pizzas, NFT. Sure. So I've come a bit of, of a way on how to do this community ownership. So the, the, the current latest and greatest idea we have at PizzaDAO is that we're going to crowdfund a land purchase. We're going to buy out the landlord of a pizzeria with a willing landlord and then sign a contract with the pizzeria. Because we think that that maybe is a, is a pretty safe way to protect the neighborhood from getting rugged by a small business going under because they have an asset, they have land, and also to support the pizzeria. But let, let's pull it back. So pizza down. Um, how do we start? What is the rare pizza? There? We came out of Clubhouse where there was this soup of Web3 innovation and, and sharing. You know, I had just been teaching people what I knew, right? Because I was a few years in at this point and longer with, with crypto, right? And so I had a lot of friends that I had kind of thought about it and, and we had this community we had built. And so on February 18th in 2021, I was running this room that I always ran on Clubhouse called The Room About Nothing. And this was, a, this was a refuge from the shill spaces, from the people who just wouldn't shut up. It was really silly. The only ru rule in The Room About Nothing, the rule was everyone had mod. So, <laughs> so even if we didn't know you, the minute you're in the room, you're on the stage and you have moderator, which, which led to the room getting rugged and shut by malicious <laughs> new people. But it's funny. And, you know, space is free in the metaverse. So you could just create a new room about nothing if the room gets, <laughs> gets deleted. <laughs> so I was running one of those. And we started talking about pizza and about doing a, a rare pizza NFT in the style of the hash mask, which had just released. Doing 10,000 pizzas generated from a collaboration of artists. And we, I put up a Google Doc, a, a spreadsheet, an open edit spreadsheet with a huge list of toppings. And I said, okay, let's open the floodgates. And at this point, so we started in the room about nothing. We started talking about this. The room grew. I changed the name to the room about pizza. And the room grew again. <laughs> and then I changed it to pizza plus web three equals free pizza, question mark, question mark. And then it grew. And so we had like two or 300 people in this clubhouse room just talking about, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna sell an NFT. We're going to take the proceeds and we're going to buy pizza and we're going to buy pizza for the world. We're going to throw a global pizza party. And then we made a discord. And within a week, we had a thousand members in this discord. And we had a hundred plus artists signed up to do toppings. It was, <laughs> it was mad. It was, it was nice. wild. And so where are you guys at with it today? And, and where are you looking to take it going forward? Yeah. So today uh, we have spent about $900,000 from our treasury on our activities. Uh, over half of that, I would say 550000 or so directly on pizza, which we've given away. We, we've done that in, uh, which I think is pretty efficient for like a nonprofit type of an organization, right? That we could spend more than half of our funds on literally on pizza. Uh, and we've done that in 75 countries, working with over 500 different pizzerias and lots of pizza organizations. We've made a lot of friends along the way. 
and we've thrown two global pizza parties. Plus, we're getting really good at throwing pizza parties. Like, we threw a really fun one in Denver. Uh, we threw a great one in Denver last year. We threw a great one in New York, and we're and we're getting ready for. Gosh, the next the next uh, year is going to be crazy. We're planning one in New York on the thirteenth of April coming up. We're planning one in potentially in Barcelona in May, in Lisbon in June, in Seoul in September, and of course globally on May twenty second. In fact, if you go to parties xyz we call that the big board. And so you can see anyone who hears this later, you can see if there's an event coming to your neighborhood. And if there isn't, let's make it happen. Nice. Jeez. Wow. You've got a pretty big list here. Sounds exciting, mate, but got to get Hong Kong on the list at some stage. It's on there. Let's do it. I'm going to add you right now. <laughs> yeah, check it out. It's row 27. Okay. I see it. I see it. Okay. I, I got I, you on there. Look at you. You're in there. You're in there. C27. You're already in the cell. Nice. I see Robbie in there too. I was actually speaking to him today, actually. Got to get Robbie involved, of course. He's excited about it, actually. He's Italian, you know, so. Yeah, he loves pizza. Uh, it showed me some of the best pizza joints around, so. Ah, oh, exciting. There you go. That's sort of exciting and promising to sort of hear that you're working on something fun, man. Yeah, our third global pizza party, you know. This is, we're, we're doing it. We're gonna, <laughs> I think if we, if we pull off a third time, you know, I think the fourth time, it's pretty lindy that it's going to happen, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's fun. So you're, you're going to be uh, in an NFT NYC and... I think is it Denver coming up? So I'll be Denver just happened. Denver was great. I love East Denver, one of my favorite conferences. Um, NFT NYC is in April. That's 12th through the 15th. I'll be there. Also, quick plug. I make, I mean, I, I think probably one of the best, if not the best, sheet of side events. So if anyone's going to NFT NYC, go to shtriple.xyz. It's pretty nice. Oh, I'm also planning an event for consensus. Yeah, we're planning an event for consensus at the end of April. So we are really busy planning pizza parties over here. That's crazy. Must be a fun life, working around pizza and crypto and NFTs, man. I can't complain, man. I'm not, you know, I can't say I'm getting paid super well, if at all. In fact, I think I, I, may, I may just be paying for the privilege, but it is quite a privilege. So I think it's worth it. So maybe a question to close off the pizza conversation then. What's your, um, what's your go-to pizza then? All right, so this is going to crush our listeners. Gluten-free, vegan cheese with pepperoni spinach and onions boom <laughs> i'd love to try that out one day uh never tried it's a uh, gluten-free pizza before and vegan cheese yeah they're <laughs> yeah um i'll say gluten-free pizza has gotten a lot better in the last decade uh, the best gluten-free pizza is detroit style because there's something about having a little more thickness to work with that lets you really create a nice chew Whereas the thin ones, they always have a bite like a cracker. I do not, you know, I can't recommend them. Nice. All right. And then if we get on back to, I guess, uh, some, some punk questions, what would be your dream punk if money wasn't an issue? So there is a zombie uh, crypto punk pirate. He's uh, punk2249. Actually, my good friend Rasterize owns him, so it's kind of like I feel like I it's close enough for me. Um, in fact, I pressured him very, very heavily in I think it was 2020 to swap. He had another uh, zombie. Uh, it had an orange beanie and a smile, and I he there was this pirate punk in the NFTX pool. This was right when NFTX did their token launch, and so you could deposit a punk. And get paid really very well 
and NFTX tokens. And so someone did this with 2249, which for me, right, one of the perhaps the best crypto punk in all 10,000, right? And <laughs> the zombie pirate. So you could swap your zombie punk in and out of that pool to get a different one. And so I sat there with him and we didn't nonce cancel, you know, which would have been smart and saved us some gas because you could see which token was getting emitted and canceled before it hit your wallet. We just <laughs> just powered through and burnt a crap ton of ETH, but it was worth it. He has 2249. It's probably my favorite punk, but I'm, I'm glad it's in his hands because he got the Tiffany uh, necklace too. I probably wouldn't have done that. And it's good that he did. Yeah, that, that's a that's a pretty cool looking punk. The zombie bandana pirate is definitely a classic too. Need to try and get uh, Rasterize in here too. He's a cool dude. Yeah, yeah. You know, funny story. So Rasterize actually, um, I paid him in Bitcoin in 2013 to make designs for that for Pirate Printing Company, the t-shirt company I mentioned earlier. And that was his intro into this into the space and he held that bitcoin i paid him good thing uh were you the one that sort of got him into nfts and oh yeah we were good we were good friends you know before but i uh yeah i i got him in i i, I wasn't a designer I, i'm not i'm still not you know i'm a little better now but but yeah he he's a good designer so yeah he was showing me um a print that he made of all the ten thousand crypto punks on a poster i have one. Oh man i want to get one. Oh, it's so great yeah i need to get one of him uh, cool. It's funny he did a he did a test print of it with a white background and he realized that you can't see the wild whites uh, and so the blue background is the way. Makes sense. And I love the punk's blue back. There's something about this blue for me. After all these years, you know, I have I think I have quite a soft spot for this particular shade. And uh, how do you see punks in general, though? I mean, do you see them as arts? Do you see them as a collectible? How do you sort of bucket punks for you? I think they straddle it. Um, like I said before, I, I think that, you know, Matt and John with this 24, and I guess mostly John because he did the design, um, with this 24 by 24 pixel canvas they had, they just did a great job. Punks are the most identifiable PFP at any scale, and they don't look out of place in an art museum. They just don't. They, they are, it's a really nice use of pixels. And so... For me, they are clearly art. I think there's a reason they're, you know, they're in the Pompidou now and they're in, I think, LACMA, right? And, and in uh, that museum in Miami. So they're clearly art. And then obviously they're, they're a collectible, right? Because, I mean, here I am collecting pirates and I know other people have similar, you know, have different collector strategies. So they definitely fit that. And within the space, you know, as a PFP, I, I think we are certainly, we are the first community. Like I have been lurking and chatting in the CryptoPunks Discord for years. And it's that community that is responsible, as you know, right? <laughs> running, running this series, you know that this CryptoPunks community that we, that we built together in that Discord over the years has given rise to many, many, many of the projects in this space. Absolutely. And a ton of alpha too, uh, for sure. Tons of alpha. I mean, if you, gosh, every time I don't buy a, punk, a punk's project, <laughs> I regret it. Absolutely. Mate, and, and what's in the bag for you? Like, what, what do you like collecting? And, and generally, why do, you, why do you collect? So I think of NFTs, I'm big about culture jamming. Like I, I wear a fishing vest every day. I'm covered in pins. I wear two dangly earrings. I, I have a Buzz Lightyear backpack. I try and culture jam pirates and pizza 
And when I say culture jam, I just mean that when my friends are out in the world and they see Buzz Lightyear or Pirate or Pizza, like there's a good chance they say, I wonder what Snacks is up to. And that is great for me because I, you know, love it when people reach out, reach out and say hello. So with my NFTs, I, I think of it similarly. And I, one thing I've been, you know, when normies ask me about the state of like, what is a PFP? Why do you want a PFP in, in this like time? I, I think it's a wager that a group of people will like you. And so <laughs> I definitely try and buy collections where I want to be friends with those uh, holders. So, so what's in my bag? Let's see. I got a bunch of crypto voxels because I, I love crypto voxels. I have, I have a pretty decent sized art blocks bag, uh, especially Stevie P. I really like Stevie P. I've got a bunch of plottables instructions for defacement uh, where you can, it's that you can print those designs on a dollar bill. For me, that really connects with my onboarding into the space with that dollar that I never got the NFT for. <laughs> so I love those. And I have a stupid percent of the uh, imposter syndrome art blocks collection. There are a hundred of those. And I think between me and my mom, on various wallets, we may have 16. <laughs> um, and I got, I have this collection of Moxara gifts. I just, I think Moxara is so funny. He made uh, this gif of a Visa credit card breaking up a pile of the CryptoPunk that they purchased, like a pile of the heads, like it's cocaine. I think it's just a hilarious gif. Um, I love the wides, my favorite punk derivative, right? Because they're, they're so wide and they just get wider and they reference the SVG on chain. They're the best wides with three eyes. If you, if y'all don't know them, I have a big bag of low effort punks because if anyone's a Borges fan, that story, Pierre Maynard, uh, which is about this Frenchman trying to write the Quixote, but in, in a different, in the 1800s and how his version is so much better because it, in reference. Anyway, I think the low effort punks are very Pierre Maynardian because it's this guy that just he's drawing every one of the 10,000 punks and, and they don't actually correlate. It's not the same punk for the ID. They truly are low effort, but he is drawing 10,000 punks by hand. I think it's hilarious. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen the run. I think playing into the a little bit of the fat punk thesis as well, right? Yes. And I, yeah, I think there is, if there's a fat punk thesis, then maybe there's a fat punk derivatives thesis. And so I'm placing my bet. My absolute favorite punk derivatives are those two. Then I have, I have a stupid amount of rare pizzas, obviously, like over a hundred. <laughs> I could see. <laughs> and if you look at your NFT career today, like what would your um, best wins and losses be? Oh, big win lately. And this is the, uh, I got a bunch of, well, for me, I think I, I bought a bunch of Rob Ness's new collection on super rare. It's like a QR cowboy kind of a, a collection. And I picked up four of those. And so, and so when he got into the Pompidou, I was just so proud to be a part of his collector base. But my, I mean, gosh, obviously punks, right? You know, I can't, I can't, how can I outcompete a hundred dollars to whatever they're worth today? Um, you know, six figures. So that's, that's hard to compete with. Otherwise, I certainly, I, I bought a squiggle for very, very little and I'll never sell it. So I have a, I have a uni grid. I have an autoglyph that uh, Jimmy sold me. I have autoglyph number 314, actually, which I, I feel like should belong to Pizza Dow because it's the pie glyph. So we'll see. But yeah, but I have, I have that. And then I got a, yeah. I mean, more recently, actually, I bought a, uh, I bought a bunch of uni, I bought three uni socks at 
at 15.9 ETH average. <laughs> and uh, and then I sold one to Pleaser Dow for 20.69 ETH, which I just think is funny. And I like Pleaser Dow. So that's, uh, yeah, I'm proud of that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Crazy times. Mate, so, uh, I mean, like you've got, of the 18 CryptoPunks, you, you basically bought most of them less than five ETH, most of them less than one ETH, to be honest. What's given you the conviction to hold through these booms and busts? Like, I think there was a peak when, you know, punks were like 140 ETH, but you still held on relatively strong and you haven't really sold that many compared to what you're holding. Yeah, yeah, I probably should have sold one at 140 ETH. You know, there are a few that, that, I, could, that I could part with that I still have, you know. My, my, you could probably see which ones are maybe my least favorite in here. But, <laughs> but look, I'm, you're talking to someone who held Bitcoin from 20 bucks <laughs> up to now. So I, my emotions are just numb to the fluctuation of these crypto assets. I, yeah, and I believe in, I believe in culture jamming. I believe in this ecosystem. So that makes it not so hard to hold on. And I'm building in this space. Like I am here. I am, I am building pizza Dow for, you know, we have plans that are, that are going to take five to 10 years to execute on. Uh, and I'm here for it. And I'm, and I'm working on this tulip NFT one spring. Everyone's going to be surprised. We're going to release it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> do you want to, do you want to just talk a little bit about your tulip NFT project? Like what is, what is that? Yeah, sure. So it's, it's a tulip. We want to, we just want to make some nice looking flowers that have some good variation that you can breed that. And we have a game ecosystem. Uh, around them we have some very funny mechanics we may have some sheep that you feed them to that reward you with fertilizer which you then you know there, there's some economics going on in 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 how it all works and and we yeah we we've just been de developing it since 20 since january 2018 so it's hard to make a good game though you know if you look around at our ecosystem there just aren't that many there are, are very very few i think you can count them on maybe one hand blockchain games that are fun it is hard to make a fun game. It is just hard. And so we, yeah, we're taking our time. Well, mate, uh, looking forward to uh, you, you dropping the Tulip game and, and NFT. And uh, who's your favorite punk personality? Because, I mean, it'd be interesting to hear from you because you've been in the community for so long. Who's your favorite punk? Yeah. You know, so Rasterize made these wonderful gifts of a few different punks. And the one that I think I use the most is there's this gift, there's this of Chuli's punk winking. And I use it all the time because I just, I don't know, I it, like the glasses drop a little bit and then the eye winks. And, you know, Chuli has been a, a, a stalwart in the CryptoPunks Discord since very early and, you know, has been moderating. And I think Chuli is, is very much a punk, you know, and not every CryptoPunk holder is a punk. And I like that we have people like Chuli in the community to, to remind us, you know, what, what it is punks feel about the world, maybe, you know, which is not always um i think it is aligned in many ways with lots of parts of the crypto ethos but once a collection gets up to six figures you know uh most punks are priced out <laughs> so i i really appreciate uh chuli's presence yeah chuli's um definitely uh we're lucky to have somebody like chuli in our community for sure right she uh she lives and breathes punks and uh she's doing a lot of it you know basically for free right so um yeah, she's a, she's an awesome awesome punk and community member to have. And and if you were to describe punk culture in a few words for you, how would you describe that? 
you know, I, I think I'm sure everyone thinks of this differently. Um, for me, it's builders. Certainly. It's people who want to build this ecosystem first and foremost. That's who should own punks. That's who has owned punks. And after that, I mean, I think it's changed over the years a lot. Um, now that they're so expensive, I think that it's a, it's a very different community. And so it's funny, you know, over the years that <laughs> now you can learn like what the best office chair is to buy. <laughs> like So punks, because it's such a luxury good now, I feel like the community has become expert about luxury items, which is, which is interesting, which is funny, uh, is valuable because taste is tough to know actually what is good out there like media goods objects i don't know I, I think that there is an opportunity for a lot of these communities to become tastemakers in a way so i think i think punks have pretty good taste in general which is definitely useful and then i mean for me even though i guess you know yuga labs owns the the, the brand crypto punks in some sense and in some sense each individual punk holder has you know the ip for their punk but I actually think of punks as more of a nounish property, and I believe their propagation across the other chains is testament to this. And I, I've never had a problem with, uh, you know, going back to the Binance punks days, the bunks. I've never had a problem with these copy mints because if you display my NFT and I have the canonical NFT, the canonical reference, then you're pumping my bags, and that's great. Go out there, show off my punks on any chain you want, because Fat Punk's thesis, that value is going to flow back to my NFT. And I think that is the NFT thesis, right? It's that we can have this incredibly strong canonical reference that we all agree that's the thing. And anyone else can go ahead and say that another thing is the thing, but we're all going to agree that that original thing is the thing. And hey, we can even change consensus, right? If we decided, oh, actually, we don't want to reward the creators of that thing anymore, we could even fork and decide something else was the thing. But that, to me, is why I really connected to punks, was that pirate ethos and that idea that, look, we live in a world, attention is the only scarce resource on Earth. So you, I think you're more sitting on the full decentralized view, CC0, Web3 sort of model and, and I can sort of see that merits for for that as well and I, and I think when you were in sort of the web3 space is that we, we don't really we can't really rely on jurisdictions to enforce a lot of the licensing rights so uh, and the IP rights because you know if somebody uses it in I don't know China or something like that it's it's dependent on who's going to enforce that for you um, and if you're not operating in a jurisdiction where it's enforceable then exactly it becomes more of a social contract right so I'm with and with you on that, but also at the same time, though, like it's, I mean, I take a look at reference to the Moonbirds, how they came out and announced that it was CC0. Um, even though nothing really changes, you know, theoretically, you know, in terms of, you know, I don't think a lot of people are going to go out and find licensing deals for their Moonbird, but but the floor price is absolutely tanked. So I think there's like... Yeah, I think that's a communications. I don't know. It's so a communications sort of, problem. I think the Moonbirds, yeah. look, I... Oh man, when they launched, from the moment they launched and they, they kind of goosed FOMO um, about their mint with the pre-mint stuff, I think they were just doomed to disappoint people. They got too high too fast. And though I am certainly a CC0 maxi and I applaud their decision to go CC0, I, I think that's really cool. And I, I think Cairo did the right thing. 
they definitely could have messaged it better and and worked with their community better because I, I it seemed like everyone was really surprised. And you don't want that. Well, let me ask you this then. Would you be okay if Hugo came out and said, we're going to give up your IP rights and CC0? The punks? Yeah. Oh, I'd be absolutely thrilled. Yeah? Okay. Interesting. That would be the ideal. That's the ideal um, case for me is, is that punks become CC0 officially. Interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about it because I think I'm, I'm sort of on the fence because I think on the one hand, it's like if, you know, you get a corporate coming in and they're monetizing your IP and there's a way for them to monetize it. Say, for example, I don't know, unlikely chance, but, you know, Disney comes in and makes a movie feature length animation and features your punk and they're making some pretty big coin off it from the box office. Would you feel a little bit different about IP rights then or would you still be okay with it? I would have to assume that if I still owned the NFT, that some amount of that value would flow back to my NFT, right? Would it be enough? I don't know. Through, I guess, in, intrinsically through attention, you mean? So, Just like the, a, the wizard a, hat mm. nouns pumped, right? Because they released that animation. Like, you can't get a wizard hat noun anymore. Yeah. No, that's an interesting one. How do you feel about V1 punks? Uh, I think they're slightly overvalued. I actually like Hemba. I know a lot of our community thinks Hemba, you know, has different opinions of Hemba, but Hemba, Hemba sold me a bunch of my punks so I, for point one. So I got to like him. And, you know, and I, I think, look, V1s are a part of punks history. I think they're slightly overvalued. I, I think that fair value is maybe like 5% of punks floor-ish because they're like a bug. They're a historic bug for me. Um, and so that's how I place them in the narrative. Yep. It's cool. How do you feel about BTC punks uh, on ordinals? I'm excited about ordinals. I haven't done enough with it. Uh, you know, I actually don't really collect. The only copy, the only punk derivatives I've collected are wides and, and low effort punks. So I'm not out there collecting a ton of copyments. Um, I actually have a funny site, illegalpunks.com. If you go, it has a bunch of memes from the Binance punks community that I threw up on there that I think are just so funny. Like there's one that says... Um, you know, do not download punk, go directly to jail or something like that. Like a bunch of stuff. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, Bitcoin punks are cool. I, I guess um, I think ultimately probably more original art on the BTC on ordinals will, will be what people care about. But, you know, I would definitely want to make rare pizzas V2 with pizza Dow on ordinals uh, and we're, we're working on it. So <laughs> I like ordinals. Nice. And how did you feel about the Yuga acquisition when that happened? Oh God, it was crushing. It felt like the apes were like, suddenly our boss you know <laughs> we got we got totally you know <laughs> and so i think i think the uh the og punk community felt like we you know it, it's like your your nephew or something like, <laughs> like i don't know bought your house or i don't know <laughs> um it just uh yeah it was definitely surprising and and for for me like with my desire for punks to be cc0 it certainly poked a hole in that because I, I don't I don't think it's incredibly likely. Uh, I, I think it's possible, but I you know I don't think it's incredibly likely that's gonna happen when they bought the brand. So for me, yeah, it was it was crushing. But you know, so far, look, I think Noah's done a really nice job. I I really appreciate having punks in the museums. He's placed them in and I think he's treating the collection the right way. So, you know, I'm I'm working with it. And ultimately I'm not terribly concerned about the effect of anything that that yuga labs does on the ultimate value of crypto punks because my nft thesis and we'll see if it plays out is that these things really 
they really can and should stand on their own. Nice. And if you could pass on a message to the next owner of your punk, 6922, what would you like to say to them? I, you know, I don't, I don't know if there's going to be a next owner of 6922 unless I get scammed. So probably fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> that'll, be, that'll be a nice message for the next owner. And uh, Snacks, this, this sort of wraps up the last of the interview questions. But uh, man, it was, it was super fun jamming with you on punks and um, learning a lot more about the history and the community behind it. And you're definitely one of the key participants in the punk community. So thank you for joining Punkcast. Any final closing comments and you know, how can people find you? Well, just thanks so much for doing this. This is a great series. There is so much history in this punk community and you are documenting it. So this is an amazing service you're doing. Uh, it's so awesome. Thank you. And I'm, I'm, on, uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm at snack, S-N-A-C-K underscore man on all platforms. I'm S-N-A-X dot ETH on the blockchain, snacks dot ETH. Uh, shoot me a message if if anything I said connected with you, or if you want to join Pizza Dow, or if you want to go to a pizza party in your city on May twenty second. It's a Monday night. Mate, looking forward to uh, eating some of these pizzas uh, courtesy of Pizza Dow, and uh, hopefully we can catch up at uh, one of these punk in real life meetups at some stage too. Man, be uh, be nice to catch up. Are you going to be in New York? Not this year. I went last year, and I. I've got to do some European trips planned this year. So hopefully I can make sneak my way over there if I get the fiance to approve. <laughs> Maybe I can stop in London on my way to Lisbon in June. That might work. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But again, yeah, thank you so much for joining the Call Snacks. And, and guys, it wraps up another call with Punk Cars for the week. And we'll be back next week with another punk. Bye for now. <laughs>